0: Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church. I'm so honored that you would take some time out of your day to dive into the scriptures with us. Let's dive in right now. Uh, If you turn with me to Exodus 34, the past few weeks we have been going through a series about the character and nature of God. And uh, it's As a preacher, sometimes I really like being in the New Testament because if you just like read a verse in the New Testament, even if you're like preaching fails completely, the scripture usually like kind of has you. But the Old Testament, sometimes it's a little bit more confusing. And so if you're not preaching good, it's a little bit more difficult. But today I'm going to attempt to go through uh, some of Exodus 34 and look at some of the character and nature of God. Today I want to be focusing on who God is. What is God's name? What is God's name, and what does that mean to us? So if you're at Exodus 34, it's also on the screen behind me. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, or in other translations says, Yahweh, Yahweh, or I am, I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is God-breathed. And God, I thank you that your character and your name is revealed to us in Scripture. God, I thank you that you're not a far-off God who, who chose to force us to discover who you are, but you came and you made yourself known to us. And you came and you gave us your name and so today, God, I pray that we would know what that means, God, and we would understand for ourselves personally today who you are and what that looks like in our lives. We thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So yesterday, as Pastor DeAndre said, we had an amazing time at the men's breakfast. If you were at the men's breakfast, why don't you give me a woo-woo? I'll take it. I don't know why I made like the high. It should have been like woo-woo, you know? <laughs> All these strong men. Uh, So we had chocolate milk, which was great, and we had brisket, which was great. So um, it was a good time, and Pastor Brett said that if you need eggs for a brunch, that I don't even know what he said, but he said you don't need eggs for a brunch, and I am totally on board with that. I also think you don't need pancakes ever, and so uh, that that was also nice. But we were at this event yesterday, and I was at another event last week, and I've realized something about myself. I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people and hanging out with people I get energy from people but I've realized that I'm what I would like to classify a non-networking extrovert okay so there's like introverts who are like networking introverts and non-networking introverts I'm a non-networking extrovert in other words I don't know how to break the ice I come up to you and I think a lot of people are this way you go up and you know what's the first thing everyone always talks about the weather and it's like a joke but the more I've like gone through life, I realize it's just so default. Like everyone talks about the weather because it's a universal thing. We're all on the same page. If you live in Edmonton, you might talk about the Oilers. That might be your breaking the ice moment. Although right now we probably, sorry, we don't want to talk about that right now. Maybe next week. And, um, and so I was at this event last week and uh, the thing I realized that I do is I go up to people and the first thing I ask is because I don't want to be the cliche how's the weather today guy. I ask, what do you do? Like, what do you do for work? What what are you putting your hand to? What are you doing in life? And I was thinking about this, and I was realizing that, like, I probably am pigeonholing people into something that I think defines them that they really don't want to be defined by. If someone says, oh, you know, I work, I work, I'm a mailman. I used to be a mailman for a few years. Their whole life is not wrapped around being a mailman. In fact, when they go home, they're probably thinking about everything other than being a mailman. But there are some people who their life is fully wrapped up in what they do. So it's, it's a good question, but it's not a great question. It's a question that can give you a little bit of a hint about who someone is, but not know them completely. I think sometimes when we look at Scripture, we read the Old Testament, we kind of see what God's doing. We see, hey, what does he do? What does it look like? What does his work look like? And we kind of imagine that this is who God is, and that is definitely some of who God is, but we have a tough time understanding how some of these things go together. Is God angry? Is he impatient? Does he have a short temper? Is he far off from his creation? Or is he up close and personal? When you look at the New Testament, you see Jesus, and you see this, this human that was on earth, and that was personal, and those was healing people, and having conversations with people. But you look at the Old Testament, and sometimes it doesn't seem like it's maybe the same God. But understanding who God is is of the utmost important for us. Our understanding of who God is will direct and dictate some of the decisions we make in life. Do we see God as an angry, judgmental, celestial being? We might live in fear or an inability to walk out in the call that God has for us. Do you see God as uh, someone who, if begged, will give you what you want? Well then maybe our lives will revolve around us will revolve around what we want. Do you see God as someone who is the creator of the universe but who's far off and uncaring? Well then you might treat him the same. You might treat him as if he's someone who's far off, who's going to come every once in a while but he might not be here every single moment of every single day. So how do we find out who God is? Well when we're looking at Scripture, when we're looking at God, we always find out who God is from his self-revelation in Scripture. What that means is we look at the Bible, we look at that word. That's why Brett's saying, Pastor Brett's saying, bring back the book. Because the book is how we discover this person that we're in relationship with. We only can discover who God is by his self-revelation in Scripture. It's the same way we get to know other people. We ask them, what what do you do? What do you like? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? And then we watch and we see how they act. So the verse we read at the beginning of this sermon, it's an important verse, and and it's an important verse that I haven't ever focused on in my whole life up until now. And I found out that this this verse in Jewish learning is one of the most crucial verses to understand who God is because it's the first time that God talks about himself and describes himself to humanity. He's saying, this is who I am. This is what I say about myself. When he goes up to Moses, he says, this is who I am. This is what defines me. And, and now, just like with us, when we have a conversation with someone, when we say, this is who I am, it doesn't mean that's only who I am. It means that's part of who I am. But this is the most important thing that God is saying. He's passing in front of Moses, and let's read that scripture again. He proclaims, Yahweh, Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord, or I am, I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So God tells Moses a little bit about himself. He says, This is who I am, this is what I'm about. But I think we actually have to go back a little bit to understand how we got there, because the start of this verse, the the start that says, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, or I am, I am, we understand what that means by going back in time a little bit as to when God and Moses first met. So Moses and God have been growing their relationship. They've been getting to know one another a little bit better. Uh. I have been married now for seven years and I dated my wife for two years. So we're, we're coming up on 10 years almost of being in a relationship. But um, when I started out, I wasn't, I wasn't a pro. Uh, I wasn't a pro at dating actually. I was just trying to kind of figure things out. And so um, I don't know if at, you know, different generations met people in different ways, you know. Some generations they met at like a dance and they got married two weeks later. Some people it was like arranged marriages. Some people's like, you've been talking with this girl for three years and they don't even know if you're friends or if you're dating or what's happening. So I didn't want to be unclear with Haley. So we went on this date. It was the first time we went out one-on-one and uh, we went canoeing down the North Saskatchewan River and like I should have known that it was like God-ordained because like we're, ge- we're going down the North Saskatchewan and there's like a bald eagle perched like a foot away from our canoe and then someone sitting in a tree with a fiddle playing music Like, you can't, like, I didn't pay for that, but I definitely took credit. I was like, yeah, I hired that guy. Like, you know, I I couldn't have planned any of those things, but they just happened. And so, you know, we kept on, we we kept on going on that date. And uh, and later on in that date, I just wanted to be really clear with Haley. I didn't want her to feel like I was leading her on, but I wasn't quite ready to, like, commit to dating. You know, I was like, I want to get to know who you are, but I, like, I don't want to commit to dating. And then we have to, like, awkwardly break up. So you know, I grew up in a Christian household. I wasn't homeschooled, but there are things about me that seem homeschooled. No offense if you're homeschooled. And uh, so there are some words that I don't know about. And so I thought, I was trying to tell her, hey, we're just taking this easy. And so I said, I don't want to date you right now. What I would like to do is court you. Like, court you. Like, what a weird thing to say, right? Like, if you're going on a date with someone, don't tell them you're going to court them. I looked up the definition of court last night to remind myself, and court means to show interest in someone with the intention of marriage. So I was trying to take it slow, and I kind of accidentally proposed to her, okay? So we were just trying to get to know each other. We were trying to take things slow, and I didn't want to go in too deep. I just wanted to start knowing the basics before we started dating, and... In the Bible, when God introduces himself to Moses, it's kind of like this first meeting that me and Haley had. It's kind of like this thing. It, it was significant. It was significant for God and Moses' relationship. And in the Bible, names are very significant. You look throughout Scripture, and there's God changes names numerous times. He changes Abraham's names and Sarah's name and Jacob's name. And in the New Testament, he changes Saul's name. So, so names are important. They're not just, you know, it's not just Joe or, like, Al or whatever, and those are great names if those are your names. But he wanted to use these names as something that's descriptive. And so when, when God and Moses meet for the first time, they go down their canoe ride, but they were actually in the mountains, so they went, through a, they went on a hike together, and God appears in the burning bush, and Moses comes up to the burning bush, and God is in the burning bush. This is the first experience that Moses has with God, and God introduces himself And we read in Exodus 3, verses 9 to 15, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He didn't know who God was. So he's saying, Who am I? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, You will worship God on this very mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what should should I tell them? And God said to Moses, and this is important, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I think it's interesting because he introduces himself as I am. There's a new name that appears in Scripture, I am. Up to this point, it was the God of their fathers. But now he's revealing himself to Moses as a personal God, as a God who appears in a burning flame and who says that I am God is I am. He's not just, it just doesn't simply say that's his name. It's not like, hey, I am, could you come over here? He's saying, I am describes me. I am is who I am. The name is more than simply a way to call someone in Scripture. It explains his character and who he is. And I think we can so quickly skip over all of this because we have the New Testament. So we see Jesus and we, we talk to God as Jesus and Jesus is also one of his names. But understanding who the I am God is so important. See, when God says I am, he's saying that he is the same God who promised to do something and he would follow through. He said, I heard the cry of the Israelites. I heard the cry of the people who I have promised to bring into the the promised land. He is saying that when you say, who am I, he says, I am enough. He is saying that when the Israelites call out to him, he remembers the promises he made to them. He is saying that he is always consistent. He always follows through. He does not change. He's not swayed by bad moods. He's not moved by winter or summer. He is who he is. It doesn't even matter if the oiler's loose. He is still consistent. And so he's saying, "I am." What he's saying is, "I am who I say, I am. I am. I will do what I say, I will do. I am consistently consistent. I am the rock on which this whole world is founded. I am the creator of the universe. I am. I think one of the difficulties that we face in the Western church is that when we read Scripture, we don't see I am very often. Oftentimes, we see the word Lord, and it might be Lord in all caps, in like a slightly different font in your Bible. And so, why is this? Well, somewhere along the time where Moses had this encounter with God and when Jesus came onto the scene, Uh, God was called Yahweh. Yahweh is a translation of I am. And he was called Yahweh for, for a long time. But then at some point, the Israelites decided this is too holy of a name. We need to start calling him something else. And so they call him Jehovah. And then as time goes on, it becomes Lord. And the difficulty with Lord is that it's kind of an impersonal title, right? When you think of Lord, you think of like a king. Like, my Lord. And that's not what God wants us to understand him as. Yes, absolutely he is the King of kings and the Lord of Lords. He is absolutely the creator of the heavens of the earth, but he wants to, us to know him as the I am God. See, Lord is impersonal. It's a title of honor, but not a title of relationship. Somewhere between God telling Moses his name, the Israelites decided it was too personal, it was too close. And I think sometimes we can find a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see this Jesus in the New Testament and we say, man, Jesus is great. You know, he's so personal. He wants to have a personal relationship with me. As if God created a new part of his personality in the New Testament to have relationship with us. But the reality is, is this is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same God who met Moses in the burning bush. It's the same God who came in a pillar of fire and guided the Israelites through the desert. It's the same God who wiped out the enemies in the promised land. It's the same God who prophesied through his prophets in the Old Testament. It's the same God. It's the same God who formed you and saw you in your mother's womb. And yes, his name is Jesus, but he is I am. He is always consistent. He is consistently consistent. And so when you're reading your Bible and you see that word Lord, start translating that to I am, to Jehovah, to a personal God, not this far off being who doesn't care, not not some kind of celestial king, but a personal God who wants to have personal relationship with you. So we're at this story where, where Moses and God, they've kind of had their initial meeting. They've gotten to know each other a little bit. They're kind of in like the courting phase or the dating phase or whatever Moses wanted to call it at that time. They're getting to know each other a little bit. But they don't fully know each other. And so we can kind of fast forward from the burning bush story. And, and we know about, you know, the plagues in Egypt and all the Israelites got, let, uh, got sent out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they finally get across the Red Sea and they get to the wilderness. And they get to this mountain. And God says, Moses, come up, to, come up the mountain and come talk with me. And I'll give you the commandments. I'll give you the Ten Commandments. And so we get to this story where Moses is on the mountain. And, and I don't know if you remember, but when God was talking to Moses in the burning bush, he says, this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses is at the same mountain that the burning bush story happened. If you look in scripture, the, the mountain has two names. It's Mount Sinai or Mount Hora, but this is the same mountain. And so God is not only saying that he wants to meet with Moses, but he's saying, hey, I'm consistently consistent. Remember when I said I am at the burning bush? I am when I've crossed over the Red Sea with the Israelites. I am when you come up here and you talk to me. So Moses had gone up the mountain and he received the two tablets with the commandments written by God's hand. And then God tells him something alarming. He says, rush down the mountain because the Israelites have abandoned me. The Israelites were worshiping a golden calf. Moses was gone for less than 40 days and the Israelites couldn't even stay committed to God for that long. Now, this is a total aside, but I wonder how many of us sometimes, you know, we treat Sunday to Sunday as if for, it's 40 days. Right after Sunday ends, it's like, oh, you know, like, sure, we're not making golden calves, but there's probably some sort of an idol we have in our lives that we go straight back to. I know I'm guilty of that. So we see this, we see God say, Moses, rush down the mountain, quick, go down. The Israelites are, are, have abandoned me. And if you read the scriptures, you can read these all on your own time, but in Exodus 32 and 33, God says, should I just destroy the Israelites, Moses? Should I just destroy them and start over? I can start over with you. You know my heart. You know who I am. We know each other a little bit closer. We've had some relationship. Should I just wipe these guys out and start over? And I think this is sometimes where we get confused with God. We say, well, he says he's the I am, but then It seems like he changed his mind. Like, did he not know the Israelites were going to build the calf? Did he not know that this was going to happen? But what actually happens in chapter 32 and 33, we can sometimes think that God is movable. He's quick to anger and impatient. But we need to understand that God has already declared himself, I am. So that's the foundation that we're going off of. He already is. Moses isn't more merciful than God. Moses says, God, don't destroy your people. Moses isn't more merciful than God. God wanted to see a little bit about who Moses was, where Moses' heart was at. It would have been so much easier for Moses just to say, You know what, God? These guys are a lot of work. Just wipe them out. Let's start over with my family. I'm good at leading 10 people, like thousands upon thousands. That's a lot. Just wipe them out, God. You know what? It'll be me and you. It'll be great. It would have been way easier for him to do this. But instead, he chose to believe what God said, that God would go with them. And he, d- he chose to learn who God was rather than being swayed by the people and his own desires. See, Moses' heart was not for the promised land. He didn't just want to go with his family into the promised land and have like a nice time. His, his heart was not for the promised land. His heart was for the person of God. He understood that while the inheritance of the promised land was going to be an amazing thing, that his true inheritance was in God. I wonder for myself and I wonder for you today, do you have eyes on the promised land? Do you serve God because you're looking at the promised land? Or do you serve God because you love him and he loves you? Do you serve God because you're in this unending, uh, this unending relationship where you're getting to know each other a little bit more at a time? He served God because he loved him and wanted to be more like him. So God is I am. We've we've gone over that a little bit. Uh, Otherwise known as Yahweh. He is personal. And being a personal God means that we don't just put our time in a few hours a week. It means we don't just put our time in on Sunday mornings and then we checked off the list, spent time with God, and then we can go and do our own thing. God being a personal God from the beginning of time means that we are his sons and daughters, that he desires daily relationship with him. And I sometimes forget this. And I don't think the Israelites understood this either. They were worshiping the golden calf. I think the only person who understood this was Moses. And the Israelites thought, you know what? Moses can do the heavy lifting. He'll take care of the relationship with God. I'll just do my own thing. I'll have a party. They thought they could get by on the bare minimum. So Moses and God have this conversation, and God says, Moses, I want to wipe them out. And Moses says, don't wipe them out. Please stay with us. And God says, okay, I'll stay with you, Moses, but I'm not going with the Israelites. I'm not going to go ahead of them. I'll send an angel ahead of them. And Moses says, no, God, if you don't go with us, if you're not in charge of us, how will people know that we're different? How will people know that we're set apart? How will people know that we're doing this for you? Because of your name, God, lead us. And then we see a little glimpse in Exodus 32, verses 12 to 19, how God feels about Moses saying, we will not go without you. So Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and I have found favor with you. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. And this is what he says, Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name, And then Moses replies, now show me your glory. That's bold. He's talking with the creator of the universe. And God's already given him what he wants. And he's saying, now show me your glory. I need more of you. I've seen a little glimpse of you, but I need more of you. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then we get to the verse that we've been talking about today, Exodus 34. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, or I am, I am. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Then look what Moses does. Look at what his response is. So Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. See, the amazing thing about God is that although we can't understand fully who God is in our whole lives, if we pursue him every single day, we'll still not get to the end of who God is. In fact, we have eternity to discover who he is, and that still won't be enough time. But God understands humans. And despite our inability to grasp him, he gives us his name, and he does it for our sake, so that we can understand who he is. When God says Yahweh, he is saying hey, remember who I told you I was at the burning bush. I'm still the same. I'm still consistent. I have not been swayed by anything. I've not even been swayed by this golden calf situation. I'm compassionate and merciful. I'm slow to anger and full of love and faithfulness. But I think like what pastors really like to do is skip like the last part of this verse. And he says that he, he doesn't excuse those who turn away from him. He says, I don't excuse those who turn away from me. But he does that because he is consistently consistent. He is just. He is good. And as someone who is consistently consistent, he has to stay true to who he is. And part of who he is is justice. Part of who he is is holiness. And so he is consistent, and he does show mercy. But he's also just. See, he wanted Moses to remember who he was. He wanted Moses to remember that he was the same God that rescued Israel from the Egyptians, the same God who spoke to his forefathers and promised to make them into a great nation, the same God who introduced himself to Moses on the same mountain and explained who he was. But he didn't just want Moses to know that he was consistently consistent. He also wanted Moses to know that he was personal. He's not a far-off entity, unaware of the going on, of humans. He's not a slumbering God who needs to wake up. He's a personal God who wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Today, what I really want us to understand is that God is a personal God, and he wants to be invited into our daily lives, and we know that, but do we understand that the God of the Old Testament was personal and is personal? Do we understand that Jesus and God are the same? Do we understand He's always been personal. It's not something that he invented halfway through. And as a personal God, he wants us to do what Moses did. He wants us to ask God, this is what your your word says. This is what you said to me. You said you would go with me into the promised land. You said you would do this. He wants us to go to scripture and say, God, you said this in your scripture. Show me who you are. I want to discover more of who you are. I want to discover every single part about you. He wants us to be people who go to him and say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. See, he had this plan the whole way through Scripture. He was always a personal God. In in Genesis, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's not some far-off entity. That's a relational, personal being who wants a relationship with his people. And then we brought sin into the world, and when sin came, it brought separation because he's holy and we are not. But from the beginning of time, he wanted a relationship with us, and so he had a plan the whole way through. And John 1, 14, and then verses 16 to 18 says, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given, the Old Testament was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the, only, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Our understanding of who God is matters. Matters. Understanding the God of the Old Testament can help us understand Jesus in new ways. God desires that we are intimate with him. God desires that we have relationship with him and that we walk with him in our daily lives. He desires that we know his character because then we can know who he is and what he wants us to become. The Bible says that we're supposed to look more and more like Christ every day. Well, if we don't know who who Christ is and what he looks like, how are we gonna become that? And we have this amazing benefit as New Testament believers, something that the Old Testament didn't really have other than Moses. We have an opportunity to actually see God face to face the same way that Moses saw God. We get to glimpse God and He is living in and through us. 2 Corinthians three sixteen to 18 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's no separation anymore. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Just like Moses, he understood God. He understood Yahweh. He understood the God of his fathers in his his head. He understood, oh yeah, like there there was a promise given to my forefathers. There was a promise given to Abraham, to Isaac. There was a promise given to Jacob. And I live in that promise, but God wanted more than that. And we should want more than that. Yeah, there's an inheritance for us. Yeah, we have a relationship with God. We have have an opportunity to live with God forever. That's great. But God wants us now. And he wants us to walk with him every single day of our lives. He wants us to look more and more like him. He wants us to sit face to face and say, God, show me your glory. I don't know about you but that that seems overwhelming it seems overwhelming that the creator of the universe yeah it seems it seems possible with jesus you know jesus was like a guy you could talk to that seems doable but the creator of the universe he's saying that he wants us to have a relationship with him the one who put the stars in the sky and who called you by name the one who ha- count the hairs on your head he knows you and he wants that relationship with you i think of moses i think he was bold He said, God, show me your glory. But I want to be like that. And I know that you want to be like that as well. One of the things that's difficult about being a Christian, about following Jesus, is that it means that we actually allow God to refine us. If you're married to someone or you're in a relationship, you know that a relationship only works because both people have to be constantly changing and becoming slightly different to, to kind of like help the relationship move along and that's not a bad thing. That's compromise and compromise can be a good thing but the difference with our relationship with God is that God doesn't compromise. Like he is. He is the I am God, right? So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever which means that he is always the same which means that we're the ones who have to change. It's not him who has to change. And Moses learned this, and we need to learn this, that God is unchanging. He's perfect. And because He is perfect, he does not change. So when we want to see God's glory, when we say, God, show me your glory, that might cost us something. That might mean that our lives begin looking a little bit different than they looked yesterday. That might mean that there's more sacrifices that need to be made. That might mean that we need to spend more time in the presence of of the I am God of Yahweh. But as we be, as we spend time with God, we begin to understand who He is better. Yahweh is desperate for us to ask Him, God, show me your glory. And when they do show us, when God does show us His glory, our response is worship. Our response is is worship and that doesn't mean you know on a sunday morning with a band and a drummer and all that stuff that means in your regular daily life that you're walking with god and your life is worship if we're walking day to day with a personal god since he's been personal since the beginning of creation that means that he wants to be involved in every single aspect of our lives he wants to be going to our workplaces with us, to our families with us. He wants to be in our marriage with us. He wants to be in our in our parenting with our kids. He wants to be in all of those things. And I want him to be in all of those things. And I know you want him to be in those things as well. Because he is the example. He is perfection. And he will begin to change us into more of who he is. God's plan for Genesis 1 was to be in relationship with his people. Today, I just wanna ask you, will you be in relationship with him? Will you put away the gold calves that you have in your life? Will you put away those things and be like Moses? Say, God, show me your glory. God, I will not go unless you go with me. God, I'm staying here unless you go with me. God, an angel's not enough. A promotion's not enough. The right thing isn't enough. God, you are the only thing that's enough. So, who is God? Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations, He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Wow. Thanks for listening. Once again, this is the St. Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of St. Church. We've got three locations in the Edmonton area. You can find all the information at saintschurch.ca. We'd love to have you join us in person, but thanks for listening today. We love you, and remember, the best is yet to come.